Comedy Pods proudly presents Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. It's been a while. I know. Since I had thing. Oh. Who is that, Creed? Stained. Oh, Jesus. That same genre of yeah, music. Of... of course. Well, you <laughs> listen to a lot of Hoobastank, I know, on the road. <laughs> It's your all-time Specific. favorite band. Just, who, just, just the reason on repeat. Just I on like, repeat. I don't like B-sides from Hoobastank. <laughs> I like the reason. I like the piano ballad that they threw out there in 2001. <laughs> what was the other one? Crawling in the Dark. Crawling in the Dark. That was the... Um, that was a big... Oh, man. When I was in high school, that was the jam. Everybody fucking loved the reason. Everybody loved everybody. the reason. Oh, man. It was such a good song back then. Well, joining me on the podcast today, episode 139, you know him, you love him, Pittsburgh legend, Chris Mohan. <laughs> I've had legend status now. <laughs> I, I feel like you were legend status before I got into town. Oh my gosh. At least infamous. That's high praise. I don't know Info- about I would legend. say infamous. Infamous is, is probably what I was. Infamous People comedian. talked about me. Yeah. Chris and I have uh, documented many parts of our friendship over the years on Mike. That's true. The first, <laughs> I was just listening back to episode 38, so exactly 101 weeks ago, you oh, came wow. on. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, which would have been, we taped right around the holidays, because I know I backlogged a bunch at the end of 2016. That's right. And that came out early January of 2017. Yeah. You had been in D.C. for a year at that point. Yeah. And so on the way over here, I listened to the first like 10 minutes of that conversation. Oh, my gosh. Where we reminisced about all the other podcasts <laughs> we had done, <laughs> which was when Stuart Huff. That's right. So that was right when you were leaving for D.C. Yes. And then I came back. I think right around that time was the last month that I was in D.C., yeah, because uh, I basically decided, you know, uh, $800 for a storage space seems kind of ridiculous. And I'd, I'd accidentally come into like a pretty good deal on a place to live in D.C. for the time that I was there. Uh, and then I was pretty much just like, I don't think I want to pay $800 a month for uh, a storage space. Well, not as bed. much as you work the road during that year, too. Yeah. It's not as if you... Yeah. You were ever, I mean, you certainly worked the district, I think, to some extent in Virginia and Maryland, but yes. the way that you've gotten to work most often over the last few years since I've known you yeah. has been working the road. Mostly. Yeah, mostly touring. With 2018, so, how many weeks would you say you were on the road this year? Uh, definitely over 40, because um, listen, I did that four-month cross-country tour uh, where we were pretty much on the road. Performing two high school cross-country teams only. <laughs> only high school cross-country teams. Uh, yeah, we ended up, that was like four straight months on the road, which uh, I would recommend everybody to go across the country, just not for that. Don't take your time. time. Yeah. yeah. Go be direct yeah. about be, your Be record. a little bit, yeah, yeah. And we spent a couple days in certain cities. Like we got a couple days in like Portland and Seattle, uh, a couple days in L.A., which that was kind of interesting because I went into L.A. being like, this is probably going to be where I'm not going to have any fun. Sure. Uh, and those uh, those shows turned out to be super fun. Um, any venues in particular? In L.A.? Yeah. Um, oh, man, what was the venue called? My, my buddy Jed runs a Monday night room. Uh, fuck, I'm blanking on the name of it, but it... I think he got a he got a camper, so I don't even know if he's running the room anymore. Uh, the writer's room, I think, is what it was called. Nice. Or the write-off room. The write-off room is what it was called. Uh, that was a really beautiful space. It was a little bit of a tougher crowd because it's a Monday night. Sure. You know, um, not the most lively audience. It's an industry were, night where people close their restaurants y- and yeah. bars, and then industry <laughs> yeah. people come out. Uh, I did this uh, weird little comedy club inside of an African restaurant. Okay. Uh, that turned out to be pretty fun. And it was funny is I think whenever I do shorter sets, like my wife pointed out like, oh, it's nice to see you kind of being more aggressive with the crowd. Because I, I think that's sort of the switch that went off in my head is like, oh, usually if I have like 30 minutes to an hour or something to perform, I can just take my time and meander through yeah. a few stories and yeah and do whatever I, you know like i can be deliberate deliberately slow if i need to be but she was just like it's nice to see you kind of get aggressive with certain crowds and like push them a little 
a little bit right off the bat. You just think it's because what you're talking about is heavier and you have to get to it quicker when the set is shorter? A little bit. I still did um, like the the opener that I was doing, which is still about like being an immigrant. Uh, so it's like opening them up to that. But that's like the first maybe three or four minutes. And then the rest seven to, you know, ten minutes that I have, I was like, she, she was just like, it's just fun to watch you kind of run through that material and see how much you can pack in but still hit the jokes, but you're not hitting the jokes. There was less of me doing like crowd worky stuff. Okay. You know? Yeah. With this tour, with being as long as it was, I know when you guys had toured in the past, Liss and you, you've been able to do like a lot of mixed media shows where it's yes. stand up and music. With doing four months, was that still kind of the focus of a lot of them? Or are you kind yeah. of picking and choosing and dropping in on some music shows, some comedy shows. It was a little bit of a mix of the two, but it was mostly the, the music where and comedy Where you get to perform show. together. Yeah, where we had a, a musician open the show, uh, comedy in the middle, and then Liz would usually close it out. Um, I think the longest one that we ended up doing was in Eugene, Oregon, which is a super cool town. It was a weird show for comedy because uh, it, it, it kind of reminded me of The Smiling Moose in the sense where there were a couple Pittsburgh people Southside there. Pittsburgh Southside Legendary yeah. Bar. Yeah, uh, which I feel like is like a legendary open mic in Pittsburgh. That, that gets to legendary Chris Mohan stats. does not have legend no, status. No, I don't. But the Smiling <laughs> Moose. The Smiling Moose definitely does. Currently hosted by Chris Scriva <laughs> on Monday nights. Oh, man. that And it kind of reminded me of that because it, it was a little bit of a fight. Like everybody paid to be there. But I would say a third of the crowd was just there to like hang out at the bar, eat, and just socialize. So when the music was playing, that's not a problem. But when the comics are on stage, doesn't work so well. Doesn't work so well. So it's like having to kind of fight through that. But it was also the spot in the tour where both of us got to do longer sets. Um, I think I ended up doing like forty-five minutes, and she she did a little bit more than that. So she got to play more songs. Um, and kind of play stuff. It's that not she a jam. She's do. not doing a, a one-woman jam band oh, where man. she like just like the Grateful Dead just takes <laughs> yeah, like the, longer through one of the tracks <laughs> with her own drum machine in the back. Ooh, that loop, would be kind of super rad. Yeah, you could work a drum machine at this point. You guys have been married now for a few months. Why don't you learn a, a trade? Because uh, I don't have rhythm. <laughs> That's the problem. Fair. <laughs> we do that at the uh, house bike that we're doing, and at the end of the night, usually it turns into like. You know, like a freestyle or just a jam or whatever, and we'll like, you know, somebody has the percussion instruments or whatever, and I'm always the person that's like, at some point, I'll change the rhythm, and everybody's like, okay, I guess we're doing, I guess we're doing that beat now. Where the fuck did this come from? <laughs> and I'm All like, right. that's me. I'm sorry. Well, keep it up. Keep it up. I can't hold the beat. <laughs> I'm real bad at. It. Are you at this point? more comfortable singing on stage is something that she kind of pimped you into for a while early yeah. on in the relationship. Yeah. I'm a little bit more comfortable doing that. Uh, just the songs that there's two songs that I sing on, uh, on her album. Uh, one's based off of, uh, one of my comedy bits. Well, they're both based off of one of my comedy bits actually. Uh, so one's called cosmic immigrants and the other one's called the prayer bit. And, uh, I think doing it, almost every night on tour made me more comfortable with it. Um, and what's interesting, like she, she'll change some of the stuff that she, how she plays it or sings it. Um, and then you just kind of like, I got, I was able to like figure out where the changes were uh, or as she did them so I could keep up with them. Uh, so that was kind of fun. Uh, and that kind of made me a little bit more comfortable. But, but if somebody was like, Hey, come sing with us. You know, you know the chorus of the song. It would just be like, I don't know if I, I found the reason. Yeah. Nope, that's yeah. the only song Chris knows. Gonna be like, I'm going to be like, I don't know if this is a good idea, fellas. I, I know not. you're struggling for, for for fans to come out to see you, but this isn't the way to do it. They're just looking for that Mohan bump, you know? <laughs> yeah, come on, Hoobastank and the Mohan. Well, this episode is out on Christmas Day. Oh, wow. And I thought as two people who did not grow up in, in Jesus-based <laughs> religions... Uh, we could just talk a little bit about what your kind of experience with Christmas has been over the years. And now that you're married to somebody who did grow up in a, yeah. uh, a Jesus faith, what your plans are for this year's Christmas. We are going up to see her family for Christmas. Um, that sort of has been the tradition uh, since we've been together. So usually Thanksgiving's like a, you know, 
eh, do whatever. You know, it's not as big of a holiday for her family, but Christmas is like when everybody shows up. Uh, so that's what we're doing over Christmas. So usually we'll like wake up, you know, hang out with her parents for a little bit. And then around like three or four o'clock, we'll head over to her grandmother's place. And it's basically like everybody from the family's there. So it's like this, it's, it's a very interesting environment to be in. It's very fun to be in that environment because it's very like loud, boisterous people. Um, and then it's like the boyfriends and girlfriends of everybody from the family. It's also there. And we get to kind of like be like, yep, that's it's very much this family's thing to do, <laughs> you know. Uh, but it's like you don't feel excluded when you're in that environment because they're all everybody in their family is like they always make sure that none of us are like sitting by ourselves, not doing anything, you know. So there's always like camaraderie there. Um, other yeah, other years usually Christmas is is the day that I just like binge watch stuff when I was like single or I did it a Jewish girl for a while. And like Christmas was literally the day that, you know, it was like when I think it was right around the time when Netflix got its online platform. Sure. And we just like binged watch supernatural or something like that. Uh, that is probably not going to happen this year, but it, it'll probably be like a new year's thing. <laughs> you might be able to watch the new season. <laughs> I gave up on that show. Tw 11 seasons in. I'm like, you know what? Tapping out. Yeah. Take this, Jordan Padalecki. <laughs> I stuck with you for a while, but now it's like your weird codependent brother relationship is... Makes you uncomfortable? It, a little bit. Me and my sister have talked about it, and we're like, we're pretty close, but ah, Jesus, how many times do they need to go to hell and rescue the other one? You know? Like, that's getting old. Just let it go at that point. Maybe that's where you guys are supposed to be. You know, just hang out with some demons for a little bit. See how that goes. Just let your d brother go, you know? Let him live in hell. Yeah, maybe that's where he wants to be. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. We're both uh, from religions that don't really worry about hell all that much. <laughs> we don't. So it's kind of just a TV fiction for you and I, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. Judaism doesn't have a concept of hell, right? There's no real afterlife in Judaism okay. uh, of any level, to my knowledge. But there certainly isn't a devil or hell um, that I need to concern myself with. <laughs> I think if, if you want to believe in a God who would punish people forever, Ugh. fine. Yeah. But that's not the team I'm playing for. Yeah. I have no interest in that sort of a, a vision or story behind my religion. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't think it's, it's the worst idea, but it's... To punish people for eternity? Well, t maybe not for eternity. You know, maybe like a hundred years, you got to go hang out with some people that you don't like. For a little while and then you'd be like okay i kind of figured it out and they're like all right back up to the surface with you and it's like oh i gotta do it all over again it's like yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm, I'm cool with that idea if you're looking for a good show to binge that's kind of afterlife focused i always yeah. the good place is the one i oh, recommend to man. people very heavily this time of uh, no, not this time of year but in the last yeah. year that i've been watching it now it um, is a great show it's fantastic uh very the whole well cast written. is phenomenal oh ted danson is such an i I, I feel like until we watched him on the show, I'd completely forgotten how great of a comedic actor Ted Danson is. Yeah, Sam Malone is one of the all-time great kind of TV characters from his days on yeah. Cheers. I never did Becker, but I'm sure that Becker, Becker has his really moments. Becker was funny. Yeah. yeah, Becker was like uh, Dr. Cox before Dr. Cox. Okay. You know, like he was Salty like doctor, the, doesn't want to talk to the staff. Yeah, he was kind of great in Don't that hug sense. Don't me. Yeah, uh, but, and then he did that show with uh, Zach Galifianakis. Uh, oh, bored to death. Bored to death. Yeah, yeah. I did that, a couple episodes of that. Yeah, he was pretty good in that one. He that show is just so good. We we finished uh, the first two seasons, and then uh, Zach, I think Zach Funk wants to get us caught up on the third one. Yeah, season three is at a really good point. They've got maybe three or four episodes left in the new year, but it's been very fun. And they find a way to kind of reinvent the story year over year, and they do a nice job of fitting a lot into each episode where um, kind of the typical show would take the entire 13 episodes to do what this show does in six. That's, that's what it was. And as we were watching it, we were basically like, man, I did not see that coming. Holy crap. Like, where, you know, where did this one come from? <laughs> like, uh, like they do a good, good, uh, they execute the reveals in a very good way. Yes. Where it doesn't feel like we're forcing a reveal. 
And I feel like that's so difficult to do, especially especially nowadays, because there's so much stuff out there to watch. Yeah, you got options, folks. You got options. You don't have to watch anything, but we do appreciate that you (laughs) take the time to tune in to Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working each week, and we wish you a Merry Christmas wherever you are. Yeah, Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you're enjoying some eggnog. Me too. That's... I don't think, have, you, have you had eggnog? What do you, what, have I had it in my yeah. lifetime? Yes, yeah. I, have, I like eggnog. You like it? Okay. Yeah. I thought it was a little too thick when I had it. I mean, did you put liquor in it, or was it just eggnog from a carton? Straight eggnog. With some cinnamon and, you know, sugar and sure. that sort of stuff. It's yeah. a thick beverage. Yeah. I mean, there's no, even when you add liquor, it's not going to, like, <laughs> water it down <laughs> by any means. Um, but, yeah, I think if you're mentally prepared for a thick, milky drink, then <laughs> go for it. I don't know. I like it. It is a very, it's, it's a, yeah, I think it's one of those things where like I drink one or two glasses of it and by the second glass, I'm like, that's not bad. (laughs) I I could get used to this. I could get used to that. Yeah. I still remember, I hadn't thought about it in a long time when we lived together, when you, I walked into the kitchen and you had a bowl of Oreos that you poured milk on like they were cereal. Yes. So, you know. I'm not allowed to do that anymore. Really? Your wife put a stop to that or your doctor asked you to <laughs> refrain? It's more the wife. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the well, doc- she'd doctor of the do house. That. Yeah, she had seen me do that. And she was like, this can't be legitimately the way that you start your day. This is a, this is a, a very unhealthy way to, to That's a Kevin McAllister in Home Alone sort of a scenario yeah. where a kid has... <laughs> yeah. The money to buy groceries and decides this is what I should do. This is what I want. Yeah. It's also very much like I was single for a long time before we met and basically got to do whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and then now it's like, no, 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 let's, let's, let's have a meal in the morning. (laughs) Yeah. Like eat enough food to start your day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you only been married a couple months. Have you learned any lessons in this short amount of time other than to, you know, eat a nutritious breakfast? (laughs) No, <laughs> uh, it's it's been funny, man. Everybody's been asking that question of like, has, is it different? Is it crazy now? Like, have have things completely changed? And and they really haven't. I mean, we've got extra jewelry, but we lived together for you know a year before we got married. And are you still uh, in a communal space in the Garfield Art yeah. House? Okay, yeah. Uh, so which, you still have other roommates and stuff to kind yeah. of buffer that you know newlywed. I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but it's it's not like. It's it's good to be with somebody that, you know, we both do our own thing and then can come back. You know, like when I'm on the road, it's not a big deal that I'm on the road. Yeah. Uh, and then when I come home, it's nice that I'm at home. Uh, I think the one thing that <laughs> I know she's like brought up to me a few times is like, hey, can you help with the, like the laundry? <laughs> Oh, when yeah. you're home, because you just kind of come home from tour and then there's more laundry for me to do. And it's like, oh, yeah, I should probably contribute to the yeah, house. Be a better. Yeah. Do that a little <laughs> bit more. <laughs> All right. I just hate folding. That's like the, the I'll do the laundry. There's no the point in cleaning part. the clothes if they have wrinkles at the end of it. You have to <sighs> put them away. <laughs> I know. These aren't tough lessons, Chris. You're 30 now. No, I know. That's that's an adult man. You just <laughs> do it because it has to get done. We've we've kind of made it a, a a nice like group activity, which I think helps. Because uh, when I was single, I would I would just do it alone. Just and put on a, a show and yeah, have yeah. something in front of you to look at while you're folding your pants. <laughs> I don't know how much how much clothes do you really have? Too many, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how many of the items are vests? Because you don't even have to fold those. Just hang them up. I have five, maybe six vests. <laughs> Some would say too many. Some, I would say not enough. Uh, but None of them denim either. <laughs> no, none of them are denim. Uh, I did. I find them at thrift stores. And it's like, if it's six bucks. They're I mean, practically I'm, giving them away. Yeah, you know, and I find... Uh, it's mostly when I find clothes that like fit my awkward body shape, because uh, <laughs> I have a very small torso yeah. and extremely long legs, so I'm like very lanky. So when I find those clothes, I'm like, I gotta have it, and it's like six bucks. I was like, oh, why? God? I mean, I gotta. I mean, this is, this is a wasted opportunity right here. Can't be all leotards with those dancers' legs. <laughs> I get it. 
Empathy on Sale, the new special. Yeah. Doing a similar uh, concept to the last time where you recorded it in a few cities and then picked one? Or what's your game plan for putting this one on wax? So I am trying to do something a little bit different with this one. Um, I'm actually filming the house show I'm doing in Huntsville. Because uh, Huntsville's in Alabama, home, folks. Huntsville, if you want to go, uh, hometown of NASA and the Department of Defense, um, and Raytheon. Uh, so a lot of war manufacturers, and that it, it's it's an interesting city, which is part of the reason why I like it because you have these people that work for you know like Redstone, which is a large army base, and Raytheon and General Dynamics and NASA and all this stuff. So there's like an intellectual community there. But there's also this like uh, very granola, like hippy dippy small business. We're gonna be more community oriented thing, and neither of those communities hate each other. Like they all kind of understand where everybody is, so they all end up showing up for the show, and nobody is like, "Well, fuck you for you know being a corporate slave or whatever." Uh, but I I don't think there's ever been a, a comedy special that's been recorded at a house show. Uh, Maria Bamford did right. something similar, but she just taped for, her for her parents. Yeah, just her parents in yeah. the house, which is fun. Yeah, and I've done the special, uh, special, or bunch something. of yeah, the special, special, yeah, which is great. Yeah, we seen it. Osha and I saw so her funny. in Homestead not too long ago. She was here in October. Oh, she's so funny. She's great. She's very, phenomenal. Very funny. And the most recent one uh, that she did. I think old baby where it's like starts out with her talking, giving herself a pep talk in yes. the mirror and then it like expands out to like a library and bigger and bigger. And like a yeah. That theater. was is very cool. What an awesome concept for a, for a special. Um, so I wanted to film something for this and I have a friend in Huntsville that's going to help. Um, he, he's got some cameras and then he was basically like, I'm going to throw you a deal for getting all the stuff done. So that's, so I'm doing that, and then I'm recording it in Knoxville, Memphis, Fayetteville, Pittsburgh, and Harrisburg. The big five. The big five. They uh, are again? Big, <laughs> uh, Knoxville, Memphis, Fayetteville, Arkansas, Pittsburgh, and uh, Harrisburg. Cool. So from there, I want to do one of those shows, depending on which one it is, um, will be like the standard release of... It'll go on like iTunes and Spotify the and digital. everything like that. Yeah. yeah. And then I'm going to do like an exclusive Bandcamp only release. Um, and then one of them will be the physical copies um, that I'll sell like at live shows. So that way it feels like you're getting a, something a little bit different each, depending on how you want to get your thing. Because there's some people that, you know, like Spotify, but they want to, they kind of know the deal with Spotify is like, unless you're, you know, Bruce Springsteen, you're not really making any money off of your Spotify streams. Um, and same thing with iTunes. So some people don't particularly like that, but having it on those platforms kind of gives it a little bit more legitimacy. Sure. Um, the Bandcamp one is, ba uh, there are a few people that like the Bandcamp because it basically gives most of the money back to the artists. Um, and then I want to, you know, do something for, for you to have a physical copy of the album. Do you um, just do CDs at that point, or are you still are you somebody doing cassettes? Are you uh, no, no, just not CDs. printing? Okay, yeah. some people do vinyl. I don't know. They do. I've looked into the vinyl. Ron Placone and I were having that conversation, and Pittsburgh icon, icon, yeah, yeah. he's on the Jimmy Dore show now. Uh, uh, he's he's a he's a cynical old happy pants. He calls me happy pants. He calls you happy. He pants. He calls me happy pants. I think he's happier than what he lets on. Yeah, uh, I can tell. I don't think I've seen Ron since. Geez, there was still a lava lounge, believe it or not. Oh my gosh, that was a good open mic. I do miss that one. Yeah. Rest in peace, Monday night lava lounge, late night, <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> if you're in the South Side, you can go down and see Chris Grieve at the Smiling Moose on Monday yeah. nights, though. So still comedy still in that neighborhood. Um, yeah, so I, we talked about doing the, uh, a vinyl release, but they're so expensive to do. And you can't really do, like, if you want... 45 minutes or an hour on a vinyl, you're going to have to do two sides or two discs, essentially. Right. Um, but there might be one or two stories off of this that I was thinking about figuring out how to do a vinyl release and maybe do it like later in the year, uh, put it out as just like this Empathy is a special on edition. Vinyl. Empathy on vinyl. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> These are all free ideas from Garrett Teitelbaum. <laughs> I don't need to profit <laughs> off of them. <laughs> Just take them. Thanks for listening.
We're a top 100 <laughs> podcast on iTunes comedy charts. Yeah, it's That's true. Awesome. Thanks, man. Congratulations, man. That's great. It is nice. It's nice yeah. to be uh, recognized, and it's nice to have segments that are sponsored at this point. We've been working with the Greenbrier Treatment That's Center right. for the last handful of months. We are actually um, ending the first six months that they've been a part of the show, but they've decided to come on and extend through the first six months of next year, so we're very happy awesome. to have them as part of the show. And they sponsor a segment called Always Improving. And they are restoring hope and recovering lives. There are many options to pay for drug and alcohol rehab, either with or without insurance. So you can feel free to reach out to Greenbrier Treatment Center at 1-800-637-HOPE or greenbrier.net. And I know you've been traveling all over the country. I know you've been doing comedy all over the place. And the question we ask each week is, how can we, what's the one thing that we can do to positively impact the human experience for everybody? That's a good question. Uh, I'd say patience. It's a great I think, one. I think we need to have more patience with each other. Um, Not just the Guns N' Roses song either. No, no. Although, decent tune. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I think we jumped the gun a little bit too much, and I think we're in a culture of instancy where, you know, especially being in the political comedy world, you kind of hear about stories or, or hear about something that happened and you immediately want to throw your opinion out into it. And I think if we took a step back and really evaluate things and take a little bit of time to kind of process our own emotions about how we feel about things, we can have a little bit of a better conversation about it, especially with people that we are definitely going to disagree with. So it doesn't turn into a screaming battle and we can at least understand you know, this person is coming from XYZ experience and I'll, I'll add my experiences into it and see if we can't meet in the middle. And if we don't, that's okay. You know, I, I don't, I at least understanding that maybe these people aren't coming from a place of malice. Um, sure. And it's coming from a place of misunderstanding and adding something to them. And yeah, I think we just need to be a little bit more patient with each other. And I'm included in that. <laughs> yeah, we all need to, to slow down once in a while and yeah. think before we speak. I think that's a great uh, piece of advice. And, and obviously, we're all going to have to continue to be around other human beings. So learning that it's not all about us and <laughs> is important, I think. You mentioned that the people in Huntsville coming from different backgrounds and still being able to like come together for an audience. Have you ever had a situation where like audience members disagreed with each other versus like somebody saying something to you that they disagreed with? A little bit. Um, I, I kind of talk about it in my act. Uh, now I've kind of added this is a little bit of a um, as part of like a, a button, I guess, one of the pieces. Uh, a couple months ago, I was at uh, Stoltz listening room. This, I think this was like right before the wedding. And it, which is an amazing room in Eastern Maryland, which is this very like liberally progressive gem, uh, surrounded by, uh, just Trump posters everywhere. <laughs> Cause it's in between, it's like, it's a little college town. It's like right outside of college and it's about maybe 30, 40 minutes outside Annapolis, Maryland. Okay. Uh, so in between those, there's, you know, a lot of rural area. So I was there and... What I kind of found out as, as I've been going there is it's also a place for D.C. retirees because it's quiet and it's a small town. So basically it's half of these people that are like very progressively minded people, you know, that are very excited about hearing about, you know, comedy that addresses things like imperialism and, you know, immigration reform and all that sort of stuff. And then you have the very rich Republicans <laughs> that are that are like, I've taken my money, I've invested it into this mansion, and I live here now, and that's that's that. Uh, so I had a, a guy that very much didn't care for anything I had to say, and neither did his, uh, what I found out was his brother-in-law. And the two women sitting at the table enjoyed all of it. So I was looking at him, and there was one point where, you know, I, I talk about conservatives in the show, and it's a story about... Um, Liz's uncle, and uh, and it's a story about like how you can kind of like we're talking about patience. You can be patient with somebody, and uh, it's a story about redemption. Really, is what what it comes down to. So I kind of took a little jab, and I was like, "Hey, man, I know I'm gonna make fun of you like one more time, and then we're gonna do the story, and I think you're gonna like the story." I don't think he liked the story. <laughs> uh, 
but he he sat through the whole show. Um, didn't you know? Didn't care for anything I said. So after the show, I'm getting ready for merch. Had his hand on his gun, ready to go. And it, oh man, uh, that would have been a whole different experience. So as I'm going about, and you know, like people, I'm setting up, you know, my CDs and stuff like that. A bunch of people are kind of stirring about and looking kind of uneasy. And I was like, well, you know, it seems kind of weird. So a couple of people came up, shook my hand, we talked a little bit, bought a CD, and they were on their way. And then the bartender comes over, and he goes, it, everything's okay. And I was like, yeah, man, I think it's, it's all fine. Are you guys okay? Like, what's going on? Apparently, the brother-in-law said something to the effect of, uh, uh, maybe we should uh, we should send him back to where he came from, or maybe he should find his way back to where he came from, or something along those See, lines. See, and that proves they weren't even listening, because I know you you name drop India like five times well, per yeah. hour. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I've, I've talked about where I'm from, so it's like, so he made this weird like deport him conversation, sure. you know, comment, and the entire crowd that was around him, that was like four or five tables that heard him, was basically like on guard just in case this guy decided to do something. Now, he didn't. Sure. Um, and a couple people apparently, like, followed him out to make sure that he left and then came back in to, like, talk to me. Um, but I was like, I've never experienced something like that before. Yeah. I've experienced people threatening me while I'm on stage. But to make a comment like that, after, I was like, that's bold. That's well, bold to, like, be in a room where 80% of the people agreed with everything that was on stage and then make a comment like that that maybe you didn't think people were going to hear but you we still live in trump's america people feel emboldened to express yeah. their opinion but they better not do it in front of the mohan mafia maryland chapter <laughs> that's for sure that crowd that's is living. right there <laughs> yeah i think you could probably get those printed up <laughs> do a Munhall chapter i mean yeah. anything with an m right. really yeah uh, it, was, it was weird, man. I, I'm, you know, people are emboldened to express these opinions. And part of me is glad that they can, because now we know. Yeah. Right? Now we know sense. where it is. Now we know what we're fighting, you know. So to me, it's like, I know that guy probably looks at, you know, refugees or, or the caravan and stuff and thinks that they're all criminals. And how do I talk to him? Maybe he doesn't want to be talked to, and at that point, it's like, all right, you know, it's not your time, and that's fine. But at least now we know where this guy stands in all of this, so we have a base to work off of. And it's it's difficult, and it's frustrating, because I think there's a lot of hateful rhetoric that has come out, especially in the last two years. I was going to say, we went on the road, it would have been early in the Trump presidency, yes. 2017, yeah. summer, like yeah. April, May. Yeah. Has it shifted a lot in the last year and a half have you noticed it even more so because i was very like impressed with the good nature of human beings when we were on the road being able to stay in a variety of places that either yeah. you knew through the fringe circuit or just even like airbnb or not airbnb but couch, um, surfing. couch surfing yeah um yes and no i think uh the people that really like the stuff that i'm doing really like it and the people that hate it really hate it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like the polarization it, it boils down to even that, um, which is interesting because I, I've gotten hit from the left as much as I've gotten hit from the right. Um, where like the far right people or, or the people that are super pro-Trump, regardless of what he does, even if it goes against their own belief, it's just like, well, he's the president, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Will will usually threaten violence. Right. That's that's their go to. Uh, the left will. I had a woman that called me racist uh, in Boston. I don't particularly know how much of the show she was really paying attention to. I think she probably heard some buzzwords and was like, "Oh, this was a night you were doing the full hour or close to." Uh, about yeah, I, I think I 40 did about ish. forty minutes, and it was it was a room of like thirty five people that had. Either they knew, they knew me, had seen me before, or found out what I was doing and came to the show because they were interested in it. Yeah. And this woman kind of came in, and she had put down, boy, at least five or six glasses of wine within just the time that I was on stage, which that's a lot of wine. Do you uh, keep, <clears throat> keep drink counts on most people in the audience? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, a guy after. Don't like, overserve that guy. <laughs> He's on four. <laughs> <laughs> Just looking out for the staff. Yeah. Uh, Get home you safe. Don't wanna, yeah, you don't want to. It's, it's Boston. You know, those roads aren't. That's true. Those roads aren't made Bean by town. logic. Bean Town. That's what they call it. That's a that's a city that whose infrastructure was built on pasta. Uh, just, is that true? It just looks like noodles. The whole the whole way the city of Boston is set up is not awesome. <laughs> it's tough to be around water. Not every city is uh, as efficient as New York with their grids. True. True. And that's really just Manhattan. The other parts of the city the are le- <laughs> less gritty. I mean, they're more gritty with a T. Ah. Uh, but yeah, she called me racist, and then there have been other the, the other the other thing that I get from the left is, well, you didn't talk about this issue, or you didn't you didn't hit this thing, so now now I feel like you're not on my team, you know. So it it's a weird they're they're different kind of critiques that I'm getting, which is like you could take requests. You ever think about doing that for the second half? What do you want me to talk about? <laughs> I'm happy to be passionate about whatever, whatever you're you interested are in. Passionate about. <laughs> I just want to be liked. <laughs> yeah, just love each other. Tell me what I can say for you to love me. <laughs> Do you want to join the Mohan Mafia? <laughs> we got pins. <laughs> <laughs> How's the merch game? I mean, I have uh, I have upped it to stickers, okay. and uh, I might have uh, some more T-shirts. My wife has convinced me to do T-shirts. I still hate it. What are you uh, going to put on the t- other than these Mohan Mafia ideas? Mohan Mafia idea is a good idea. I, I have a, a drawing that I made um, with the brain, and the bottom part of it is a plug with some sparks coming off of it, and it says, knowledge is power. So, I like that. It's okay. Yeah. Here's my new idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Krish Muffan, and it's uh, your head on top of a muffin. Oh, damn. Yeah. Use it, don't use it. Again, free ideas on the podcast. I'm just here to help market my friends and their journey of uh, successful or non-successful t-shirt sales. I, again, don't need any profits, don't need any losses, so I'm not involving myself in my investment here. What's the worst heckle that's ever been thrown your way? Oh, worst heckle. I had a, um, a show I did in Sackets Harbor, New York, which is like close to the Canadian border. So, um, and it's like a military town. And I, <clears throat> this was a number of years ago. Uh, and I was doing like pro game material. It was a birthday party in the crowd. Uh, ironically enough, the person whose birthday it was was not drunk. Her friends, on the other hand, were all drunk. So they, I, I did this pro game material. And, and then I, shifted to like close my set um so it's a completely different topic now i think i was talking about like being obsessed with my phone or something and they they were on that weird drunk time (laughs) and me talking about my phone they were they yelled out something like uh will you be my boyfriend (laughs) and i was like what is happening but they were reacting to like the earlier material about you know like why shouldn't we let gay people be parents? Like, it's no different than straight, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, no different than straight people being parents, right? Like, so I was just really confused. And I don't even know what I said. I think I said some, like, really lowbrow line just to, like, get them to shut up. And then I got them to shut up. And I finished my set, and I got off stage as quickly as possible so that the host could come up and just introduce the headliner and move on. But that did not happen because the host re-engaged them and basically talked to them about why they wanted to, like, date me or something. Sure. Which was like, no, (laughs) I worked so hard. I did so much to try to get these people to shut up. (laughs) I think that might have been one of the weirder ones. That might have been one of the weirdest ones is being coaxed to be like, will you be my boyfriend? It's like, where is this coming from? (laughs) What? I'm not a... I'm not up here to be objectified. Yeah, I'm a person. Thank I you. have ideas. I am Buy here me to a drink first. <laughs> then I'll be your boyfriend. Yeah. How does empathy on sale differ from approaching happiness? What you were working on when we were on the road together? Uh, in a lot of ways, um, the mental health aspect is still in there a little bit, um, but I heavily focus on mental health and 
topics relating to mental health uh, for approaching happiness. Um, the subject of this one is more the the state of political divide that we're in. So a lot of the show was built, you know, kind of just watching people during and after the election and how we kind of went after each other. And I think that's so silly because there's these larger battles that I think we're all involved in. And I think we should come together to take care of some of these issues so that we're not constantly fighting amongst each other over, you know, you voted for this person, so you're now awful kind of a thing. Um, so a lot of it is addressing that. Uh, it's also uh, addressing, like, the culture of war. Um, what is it good for? Exactly. Uh, which is an excellent question to ask. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's, it's different. I think it's a little bit more, it's probably a little bit more political just because I'm talking about more contemporary things. Sure. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really talking about Trump, you know, like I don't think Trump is the problem. I think he's a symptom of a much larger disease. So I'd rather talk about that, um, you know, from the lack of health care that we've had not had in this country <laughs> for a very long time. Or, you know, there is a health care plan. It's just being run by insurance companies and the premiums are getting higher and people can't afford them, you know, like. We're spending more money on war every year. Uh, and, it, and it's like you ask the question of like, well, how are we going to pay for health care? But, the, but by, look at the war budget. <laughs> we need a third of it, maybe. We have to keep us safe. Yeah, I get it. But you can do that with a third of the budget. <laughs> Got to keep yeah. us safe at home also. And there's, you know, they're trying to get more money for the wall and they haven't spent like a sixth of what uh, they got for this year. <sighs> Yeah, that's that's a conversation. That's actually one thing that I have kind of found out is a way to talk to conservatives about the wall, especially the ones that are fiscally conservative, is if you bring up, you know, like is that what you want to spend your money on? Like wouldn't wouldn't you wouldn't wouldn't it be better for you and your family if instead of paying 500 bucks a month of your hard-earned money on healthcare premiums, wouldn't it be a lot better if that was way less, right? Like, if you only had to pay 100 bucks a month, wouldn't that be awesome? It's sure. kind of approaching it that way gets them to rethink it a little bit more. It's hard to get them completely off the wall. It seems to be a, a gem for people. Of course, it would be nice to upgrade and put up a new fence outside of your house, but it's probably more important to put up some nice wallpaper inside your house. Points to heart. Hmm. Patience. That's the key. That's the key. Always improving. That's what we're working <laughs> towards here on Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. Brought to you by the Greenbrier Treatment Center. 1-800-637-HOPE. Greenbrier.net. Restoring hope, recovering lives. Just because you do comedy and you're at the bar does not mean you need to feel obligated to have a drink. Feel free. Damn. That's a great sponsor. Yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you. It's a good, it's a good get. Our other sponsor, Driftwood Oven. Oh, I was excellent sponsor. just able to DJ their holiday party last night and run some trivia for those young uh, gentlemen, Neil and Justin, and their staff. That's so it was awesome. Great to give back and uh, spend the night with those those people. They've had a wonderful first year at their location, and it's they've been a part of the show since they launched the food truck. So nice. Yeah. Oh, where where are they located right now? They're right here on Butler Street, just no. down the way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I gotta get down there. They're closed on Mondays and Tuesdays, but they're open every other night of the week. Well. Good thing that it's gonna be a Wednesday soon. Today's Christmas though, so don't stop don't, by. Don't They'll be back open in the new year. <laughs> they're closed for the last week of the year. They've given their staff the week off, but they will be back in That's the awesome. new year. Yeah. That's awesome. Those are the sponsors of the show. Yeah. We're always open to taking more sponsors and feel free to reach out to Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. If you want to reach a variety of audience members that are interested or engaged in comedy, mental health sobriety, anything else that we discuss here. Just how do you make a living doing what you're passionate about? That's what the show is ultimately about each and every week. We get a variety of guests here on the program, and we're so lucky to have Chris Mohan back with us today. 101 weeks ago, we sat down. I know. I feel like we taped one since then at Kevin's house that the audio was bad oh, on, but that might have been before. Yeah. I don't remember, but it was a right around, it was in the DC era, so it might have been before. It might, I think it was a little bit before, 
I feel like a lot of that was just us riffing and goofing off. Uh, yeah, just, that's a safe just, bet. Yeah, which I think kind of happens whenever. <laughs> yeah, we have <laughs> a good time. Comics in a room. <laughs> yeah, we like to goof off. We like to have some fun. What percentage of the time do you feel like you're relaxed versus anxious these days? I think I'm uh, more relaxed. Um, I was just talking to my wife about this. I, I've been like bogged down. It's it's we're still playing a lot of catch up from getting off the tour and then immediately going into the wedding. Um, so we're a little a little stressed out in that, but we're getting to that point where we can figure out what our schedule is. Um, but I think it's a little bit more relaxed and stressed. Uh, you know, you kind of fall into a groove and I, and I woke up this morning and I was like, yeah, I kind of feel a little weird and off. I've kind of felt that for the last couple of days and I don't know why, excuse me. Um, I don't, I don't. And I think it was because I got too bogged down by doing the same thing. Um, and especially now that it's the end of the year and I can't do the, you know, the same routine of booking for this amount of time and then writing and then the promo stuff and, you know, booking openers or whatever, um, I can kind of mix it up a little bit, you know, work on these other projects that I've been thinking about, um, which is nice cause it kind of shakes things up and it, then I don't have to worry about those things. Um, yeah, I don't know if I get all that anxious anymore that's good yeah do you feel like you're putting in time like during this time towards figuring out what the next hour is going to be or are you starting to focus on the podcast the web series the other stuff that you put out on a regular basis on forkful of noodles i think it's yeah right now it's um i'm trying to figure out what the new what a better schedule would be uh because i've struggled with that this year um because we did that very large tour that takes up a lot of your time and effort. Um, so it kind of put that on hold. So I'm trying to figure out how to be on the road and create a better schedule that will allow me to write and record and keep the consist- consistency of Forkful of Noodles and Taboo Table Talk. Um, but I, I'm, I have a general idea of what the next hour would be. Uh, and I think some of the material you probably heard way back in September of last year uh, when I did it at Plate and Bowl, that was like the first draft of like What's all new material. Okay. Yeah, and then, I, and then I broke it up where I felt like half that material, a lot of the stuff that I was talking about, like the culture of war and that sort of stuff, um, didn't really seem to fit with the nature of political divide and trying to be more patient with each other and listen to each other. Um, that seemed like a separate idea. So I, I shelved that material and I think that I'm going to look through what that is to see what the next hour might be based on that. Cause it always changes. Um, that's sort of what I've noticed with it is I kind of go in with an idea and I can't be locked into like, this is the material and this is what it's going to be is I think that's a good starting point. And then we can see how it evolves from there. Right. See uh, how it changes over time. Yeah, because that's essentially what happened with with this one. Is it it probably went through about four or five different changes before it landed on this. And I like this. <laughs> like I feel like it's more. It's a lot more cohesive than approaching happiness and uh, how not to fit in. Where I feel like there was a through line in those two things, but they were very loosely connected with each other. Like each each bit kind of was a stand standalone bit by itself. Whereas I think in this one, there's less of that, where each idea kind of pulls from the last one. Um, so I want to try to do that again and try to make it better and better and and build a more cohesive show. So. But again, you know, once you restart, it's going to end up sounding like, you know, various different little pieces put together to fill an hour. So, yeah. How much do you find like that initial month of, of the new material is you still pulling stuff from the old specials to kind of fill out? Or do you kind of wipe the table and try your best to go in? Uh, yeah, I'm not brave enough to wipe everything clean. <laughs> um, I think. I was still doing a majority of approaching happiness till about July or August. 
uh, I had two new things in July that I added into it. So about 40 minutes was still all old stuff. And then the two new things that I wrote, I'm not even doing in this special. One was the Gospel of Judas. I was talking about the Gospel of Judas. Uh, and then I started digging deeper into it. And right around like September, they had discovered more stuff about it. And it goes into like the Apocrypha and all this like really like deep cut Christianity stuff. And I was like, oh, I can't. I mean, I can't not talk about this stuff, but that's going to take it into a completely different direction. So I kind of shelved that. Um, and then I was talking about like um, the Hindu classes, um, like the caste system and stuff. And again, it was sort of the same thing where it was like, yeah, it can fit into it, but it doesn't. I, I f didn't feel like there was a very natural way of putting that in. Sure. So those two things kind of helped me build stuff around it, but eventually went into the shelf for a little while. Where do you kind of put yourself on the spirituality spectrum these days? Because I know you had a, a wedding that looked to be fairly Hindu yeah. related, obviously to honor your family. Mm -hmm. um, I'm agnostic still. Um, I don't. I don't really care what you call it. I know I, I kind of believe that there is something higher than us um, because the way, <clears throat> you know, you kind of see certain patterns in nature and in the universe, you know, and that stuff seems like it happens for a reason. And the reason might not be for us to understand <clears throat> or we're not at a point as a species in our own consciousness to understand those reasons. Um, so to me, it's, there's probably something, I don't know what it is. It hasn't presented itself to all of us in a very clear manner. Um, so yeah, I'm agnostic, but well, God speaks to individuals. He doesn't always talk to everybody at once. Right. So, so there's even that philosophy. So to me, well, that's just in the old Testament. Yeah. Uh, actually I think there, there's something very similar to that in, in Hinduism too. Um, which is also, but Judaism and Hinduism might, might've been parallel religions. Well, that's uh, why no one religion has all the answers. No. That's why you got to do some research and get out there and read a few books. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they all have great stories though. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But I think, you know, that's, that's the thing to me is I don't care what you believe as long as it helps you be better. Sure. If it helps you be a better person, then I have no problem with it. If, if Satanism is your vehicle for, you know, going to the homeless shelter and feeding homeless people and then giving, you know, all of them like 20 bucks at the end of the day. Cool. That's what awesome. Satanism is? I think it's a more, it's based in nature. Okay. Like it's a lot of like, you know, like a lot of witchcraft is paganistic and it's like nature worship, you know. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with all of it as long as it's not, what what I'm I think what I'm against in terms of religion is organized religion. When you when you start saying that this is the right answer and then give me money for the right answer, sure. That's when I'm like, I don't I don't think you're reading the book properly. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think you're adding shit to the book. <laughs> that might be fair. We all have some of the answers, hopefully, or we're willing yeah. to learn what we can along the way. Chris Mohan selling his album whenever you feel like <laughs> buying it. Definitely not a church, but still has it products to shill. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but we all got to live, stuck man. Stuck in this corporate, corporate capitalistic hellscape that we all need to be a part of. Again, I don't think capitalism is a bad thing either. I get, I know. Good. I, okay. I get a, I get a bad rap. I, here, here's the thing. I think capitalism needs some limits, and I think that's where like the champions of capitalism and I disagree is when it starts uh, making money off of other people's rights and by you know basically not paying people enough for 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 the labor that they're creating. Then that's a problem. Do you think yeah. we need to instill a universal basic income? That's something that's come up on the show before. Yeah. Yes. I think that's realistic. It can be. Um, there, there's different thoughts on this. Uh, Chris Hedges, I don't know if you know who Chris Hedges is. I don't. I he, know about the Bushes. He, <laughs> <laughs> it's 
It's another, it's a, it's a, <laughs> it's it's a bad topiary one. joke there, folks. <laughs> Just a shrubbery, not nothing too nice, you know. Uh, Chris Hedges is uh, was a journalist for the New York Times, um, spoke out against the Iraq War, and then got fired, um, and now is is sort of this voice of dissent. Uh, very depressing read. It, not a lot of hope from Chris Hedges. <laughs> Very informative, though. The the dude talks a lot about history and systems and stuff like that. Very informative. Not a lot of hope. Yeah. Um, the hope is for you to decipher of what you want to do with that information. <laughs> uh, Chris Hedges is against the universal basic income because he sees it as a way to pacify people. Like if corporations and the government basically say everybody gets X amount of dollars a month, um, Everybody will be like, oh, wow, this is really great. You know, Peter Joseph, on the other hand, looks at it as a stepping point to basically balance the economic system, right? Tip the scales back so that we can create a middle class and we can have better innovation and we, and we don't, aren't limited by money. Uh, money should not be a limiter. It should help us all grow and innovate. So, and these are two very, like, intellectual minds um, you know, within like the socio-political landscape that people look up to and they have completely opposite views. And I get both of them, you know, like I get what Chris Hedges is saying, but I think I lean more towards Peter Joseph where I think there's a lot more positivity that can come out of universal basic income. Um, and for the people that are like, oh, it's free money. It's just free money. It's yeah, sure. Okay. But we can look beyond the idea of the fact that it's free money and look at it as you can do whatever you want. If you get $1,000 a month, how much is that going to alleviate the stresses of bills and the stresses of, you know, you might not need to work 60 hours a week and you can, you know, continue to do stuff like this podcast. Maybe. You know? Maybe people continue to spend them on, you know, drugs and vices and things and we continue to have to support people that are not living up to their end of the agreement for right. society. Right. You have to ask yourself, are people rooting for the end result. And I think it's tough to believe in human beings all the time to do the right thing. God's tough. <laughs> it's tough because people let you down. Yeah. It's the nature yeah. of you know human existence. And I would love to believe, and I'll always side with the left because I do hope that we can make things work. And I don't believe that people are inherently wrong for looking different or believing different yeah. or any of the other things that I would need to bend my morals in order to co-sign. So That's fair. do I think it has merit? Yeah, absolutely. The world doesn't work in 90 degree shifts. And no. I think that it would take a lot to get us there. But I also, you know, when I graduated high school, which is now 15, like 2005, you could have told yeah. me that we would have gay marriage in 10 years. I would have laughed at you because I wouldn't have expected society to work this way. And yeah. now I'm 10 years removed from college and look how much has changed both positively and negatively in the country. So things are happening at a more rapid pace than ever. Thanks to some of the technology we have, but people are disconnected. People don't really reach out to people because you can be a passive member of your relationships with people. You don't have to actually talk to anybody to see what they're up to because right. they're posting and, right. and you know, you can tell me, Oh, such and such happened. I know about a third of it because I can see it in my newsfeed. It shows up as long <laughs> as I don't unfollow. So I think there's definitely something to be gained from trying to give people the means to succeed in what they're passionate about. And yeah. our, but I, I recently learned, maybe at some point earlier this year, that the 1% that people always like worry about, yeah. that it's only $400,000 a year. It's not this astronomical, unattainable goal that if you or I pursued a career, we couldn't get to. And I think that's where people look at that as this unreachable number, where if you were actually motivated to see, let me see how close I could get to this if I did X, Y, Z for 10 years, and I was okay with being unhappy or overworked for two years to put myself in a position. Yeah. But when opportunities aren't given to certain people because of where they come from, or they don't have the access to technology or institutions that will help them get to those goals, that's where the problems come in. Well, yeah, and that's... That's Peter Joseph's argument. I think that's Peter Joseph's argument Hells is yeah. universal basic income will 
basically get rid of that. So if you are a black gay woman and you don't get hired by, you know, the coffee shop and it's because you're a black gay woman, then, you know, to hell with it. You have $1,000 a month. You can basically take that $1,000 a month to invest in opening up your own coffee shop that nobody has to worry about their skin color, their sexuality, or their gender. You can just come in and get a good quality cup of coffee. And yeah, you'll probably still struggle for a little bit. $1,000 a month is not particularly going to help all of those financials, but you basically eradicated the need for anybody to be judged based on these very trivial social constructs to me, right? I mean, it's judging people based on the color of their skin is literally going skin deep. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think I think a universal basic income is a good idea. Um, Manitoba in Canada, I think in 1973, I've, I've done a bunch of videos about universal basic income. This is why I'm like coming at with a bunch of information. Um, they ran, they had a universal basic income and they found out that 13% uh, of the people quit their job and did nothing. That's a very small percentage of people that basically were like, I'm good with the amount of money that I'm getting. I can cover rent, I can cover food, and I can cover my bills. And I'm fine just staying at home and, you know, reading some books. You or say it's a low amount, but you're 4% away from being one in five people. Sure, but they didn't, that's 13% in one year. That 7%, number could, but still. The, 7%, yeah. But you could still decrease that. I'm just number. not good at fractions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or, or I think adding. I think you could I think you could very easily um, look at it and say, "Hey, you know, uh, it's thirteen percent this year, but it went down to eleven the year after that." Sure, people had to go back to work or find some sort of a or find some kind of meaning in their life. Yeah, you know, um, we're we're kind of seeing that with my father-in-law. Uh, just he's seventy years old, and uh, and he's he just retired. <laughs> And he's constantly looking for projects to do, right? Like yeah, this is a guy that can't sit moving. idle. Yeah. So I think that's in us. Even when I'm sitting idle, like I can't not do be nothing. doing something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it could be anything, right? Like it could just be having a, a nice, meaningful conversation or a cup of coffee or, or whatever. But it's just like I can't just sit and do nothing. Uh, there is a sense of purpose. There's a sense of meaning that I think people need. And I think universal basic income, which there will be an adjustment period where I think there might be a lot of overworked people <laughs> in this Take country some time off. that'll be like, yeah, I'm taking, I'm taking two months off. I'm going to Jamaica for a bit. travel. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to go see some other places and then they'll come back and have to do something, you know, like you gain all this experience, you gain all this life that you've, that you've never had access to before. And then when you come back, I think there is something very innate in all human beings to be a part of something larger. And I think most of us will start tapping into that. So if we can give it a, I don't know, five-year grace period, we might see a number like 13% maybe go down to six or lower. Yeah. You know? But that means that you're going to have to be patient and <laughs> let it do its thing um, and and get to that point and let people figure it out, you know, and let people get to that point where they're like, oh, we need to we got to do something because I can't just keep, you know, going down and eating crepes every day. I don't know, man. I like crepes. <laughs> <laughs> You can still eat crepes every day. Well, like, we're at an hour three. That's a good spot to wrap up. I feel like yeah, we've solved the world's yeah. problems today. And that was what the it. goal was here on Christmas. <laughs> uh, go be with your families. If people want to follow you, what's the easiest way to find you out there on the nets? You can go to my website, which is ramennoodlescomedy.com. It's R-A-M-A-N noodlescomedy.com. Um, uh, or you you can also donate to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash krishmohanhaha. If you want to find me, I am at Dropping Bombs, B-A-U-M-S. The best way to do it is just write a review and tell me what you want to tell me right there in the podcast five stars if you feel like it. You can check out 
Me on January 4th at Club Cafe, Friday night, 10 p.m. on a great lineup with Mike Sasson, James J. Hamilton, James Phelps, Vanessa St. Clair, Christina McNeese, Cassie Bruno, and I'm sure I'm forgetting others, so I apologize. But that'll be a fun night. And as always, go out there, have some fun, and do something neat. You have been listening to Unplanned Comedy Pods, a podcast collection.